All right, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the uh, special uh, class that Beth Lita Online is doing on Shemitah, on the sabbatical year, the uh, periodic cessation from all agricultural labor. What we're going to focus on this evening um, is kind of like a capsule unit. We're looking at the, the way in which Shemitah is often called, as I said, the sabbatical year, a year of rest, a year of a break of some kind, kind of like how a professor or a professional of some kind, a rabbi, takes a sabbatical every once in a while to recharge and refresh. Similarly, it seems, Shemitah and also Shabbat have that uniting common theme, that they're both some kind of retreat or uh, haven from the world as it is, uh, so that um, you can recharge in some kind of way, you can be refreshed. So the topic we're going to look at this, uh, this, this session is going to be looking at the interrelationship between the sabbaticals, between Shemitah and Shabbat. So before we get into texts and to text learning and the like, when, uh, when do you think of uh, commonalities between them? Um, what do you, what comes to mind, right? When we think of putting Shemitah and Shabbat in dialogue, what comes to mind to you? Besides, yeah, uh, Shabbat is a rest. Uh -huh. Well, Shabbat's a rest for humans, and Shemitah is a rest for the earth. And it's seven, okay. seven years, and Shabbat is every seven, seven days. Okay, good. So they're both on peri periods of seven, right? So when I said periodic, right, I mean that technically, right? They are both regular intervals in which they occur, right? They iterate in that kind of way. And they're both, uh, they're isomorphic, right? They have the same pattern one is seven once every seven years and one is called once every seven days not just that but it's actually called um you know it's it's called literally you know shemitah is literally called shabbat in the sense that uh the seven-year cycle is also called a shabbat as well um and you said uh shabbat is a rest for humans and shemitah is a rest for the earth that is true ish Shemitah is a rest for the earth, that's true, but it's also a rest for humans and animals insofar as we can't do, right, that, the work, uh, the agricultural labor that's prohibited. And, sorry, my hair's a mess. And um, Shabbat extends beyond the human race, right? Uh, you can't, your animals aren't supposed to work, right? Your employees, your servants aren't supposed to work. And even shvitat uh, kelim, even your tools, your implements and instruments are also supposed to take a break on Shabbat. So you're right. I would agree with you that like the centerpiece of Shabbat is human life, and the centerpiece of Shemitah is the earth. But both of them, you know, have a more holistic understanding of what uh, that kind of rest means about how human life, animal life, earth life, all of these things. Uh, interact with each other. They all interconnect in some way. Okay, more ideas. How else can we bring Shemitah and Shabbat into dialogue? What else comes to mind when you think of them together? So we learned in the, the last series that during Shemitah, it's a chance to sort of, for everyone to be studying Torah and, and build their knowledge. And on Shabbat, you also study Torah. So. Great, we're actually gonna come back to that theme 
when we uh, look at the Sforno's comment on Vaikra. Um, I was kind of gesturing towards this class when we looked at that. But to refresh our memories, Shemitah, the argument I made a couple few weeks ago was that Shemitah is the, just like Shabbat is the regulated weekend, right, that every that there's a day in which you cannot be forced to work. Shemitah is also a year in which the lower classes, right, the agricultural laborers, the peasantry, uh, get a year off, and they have time now to not just eat hand-to-mouth, right, and live in this subsistence farming kind of way, but now they have a year in which they can pursue, you know, things of a higher order nature, right, that even the farmer, even the, the, the farm hand, right, even the serf has a right to rest and a right also to self-actualization. So we're going to look at that uh, the venue, right, of uh, leisure time as a time for self-development, right, as a time to um, aspire in a way that has nothing to do with ambition, if that makes sense. Aspiration that is not channeled into ambition. Yeah, Jonathan. Unless it was an accidental unmuting. All right. Did not mean to put anyone on the spot. Uh, okay, so I think that's a, that's a thank you for... Um, uh, proving also, Susie, that people are paying attention makes me feel wonderful. Uh, very gratifying. Uh, okay, so before we move into the text learnings, any kind of just uh, concluding, any concluding reflections or just like uh, other ideas, and if anything else comes to mind as the class progresses, do not hesitate to chip in. But any other ways in which Shemitah and Shabbat, or Shemitu and Shabbos, right, relate to each other? All right, well, we, we, we covered a lot of ground so far. What, maybe we don't even need to go to the text. We've already intuited it with our hearts. Um, but let's, they both start with shin, boo, boo. No, I'm just kidding. That's a, that, is a, that, is a, that adds a lot to the conversation. I appreciate it. Um, no, no, yes. Okay, good. I'm share, share screen. Ha ha ha. Um, okay. Everyone see that okay? Take it on faith. All right, so let's look at the first yes. text. Excellent. All right, who wants to read? Give me somebody maybe who hasn't done anything yet. Who has, we're going, so this is a text we've seen already, but I want us to pay attention to specific phrases. And before we get into the later stuff, first I want to just make sure we're grounded in the mikra, grounded in the kra, in the scripture. So who'd like to do the read? We can we can look at it in the English, but I'll call our attention to certain Hebrew phrases I want us to notice. So who who wants to read? Who will read? In English. Killing me, Smalls. Alright. I'll do it. Fine. Hashem spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, When you enter the land that I assign you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of Hashem. Shabbat Lashem. So to Lauren's point before, the subject of that verse, right? Not just the topic, but the subject, like the, 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 the actor in the verse, the agent in the verse, is the land. Right? The earth is the one that is resting. So when it says a Shabbat for God, it's as if the earth is taking Shabbos off. Right? So, we see that the Lushin of Shabbos, right, the Lushin of rest, but also the word Shabbat, 
is used. Now, I want us to remember that phrase, Shabbat Lashem. It's a Sabbath for God, because that's going to be the linchpin of what we're going to be looking at today. Six years you may sow your field, and six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. Now, similar actually to a lot of Shabbat, I didn't, I decided not to include this, but similar to a lot of Shabbat texts by the, you know, by the commentators, it says like, oh, it mentions specifically Zroa, right, to sow, and Zemira to prune, but those are paradigmatic. It really means all of these other agricultural um, tasks as well. This is what's called in Shabbat halacha, what's called avos malacha and tolos malacha, where there are 39 paradigms of labor that we're not allowed to do on Shabbat. And under those 39 paradigms, there's associated, related, derived tasks and activities that are grouped under those 39 categories and umbrellas. So what's a good example of that? Um, um, oh yeah, so you're on Shabbat, you are not allowed to um, grind, right? You're not allowed to grind, right? So like all of us coffee nuts, you're not allowed to grind your coffee beans on Shabbat. You're not allowed to take your uh, wheat berries to the um, to the mortar and pestle and grind them into flour, right? So that's a you know a basic activity that you're not allowed to do, right? One of the cornerstones of human civilization to turn the raw material of wheat into the processed material of flour, right? That is the kind of catalyst of Shabbos. That is a transformative act, processing something and making it something else, bringing it to a, a different state. Right? Shabbat, you're supposed to let the world exist. That's kind of what we're going to be looking at tonight. But that's the avos malacha, right? That's the, that's, the, that's the daddy labor. That's the parental labor. That's the category, paradigmatic task. A tolda of it, a uh, derived or a, a, um, a subcategorical task, is that you're not, uh, some commentators, the halacha is that you can't mince on Shabbat. Actually, Rashi uh, cites ancient French, says mincer. You can't mince, you can't like ch even chop things up super finely. You can't grate stuff on Shabbat because all of it is too close to grinding for comfort. Right, so that's an example of what is uh, an av malacha, right? A paradigmatic labor and toldos malacha, um, subcategorical, right? Something that's derived from that. So here it says you, you shan't sow, nor shall you prune, but the commenters say what we mean by that is those are two paradigmatic examples, and we mean all these other things that are associated with sowing and pruning, etc., etc. Uva shana shabbat shabbaton On the seventh year, it will be a Sabbath of rest, a Shabbat Shabbaton, a, a, a super Shabbati Shabbat, the most Shabbati Shabbat of all time. Um, it will, will be for the land, a Sabbath for God, right? Again, Shabbat Lashem. I want that phrase to stick in our brains. Sadcha lo tizrevacha mecha lo tizmari. Your field you shall not sow, and your vineyard shall not prune. Right? You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes. Uh, it shall be a year of complete rest for the land. Right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Even like the stuff that seems like it's not even changing that much. You can't even do, you can't even clean up. You can't even do upkeep. You're supposed to let the land have a complete rest. Shabbat Shabbaton. But you may eat. Um, um, there will be a Sabbath for the land. You can eat from it, 
All right, you're allowed to eat from it, but you're not allowed to work the land. Yes, yeah, Susie. Sorry, I, I don't know if it's just a bad translation, but I'm thinking of that, a Sabbath of Hashem. Mm -hmm. Like it almost sounds like you're taking a break from Hashem. Great, hold on to that because the rabbi, oh. because Rashi is going to make sure you don't think that. Okay. Because that is, as we've learned by now, hopefully, uh, that is what we call a Havamina, right? That is a reasonable reading of something and we need to make sure you don't go there. Okay. Okay, great. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? It could be like, oh yeah, like Shemitah, right? You mean like Rumspringa, right? This is like the year we get a break from keeping the Torah? No, not quite. If anything, it's a year, as actually we're going to see, it's a year that's a break from everything else so that you can keep the Torah. Um, yeah, it's a year of rest for the earth. You can eat on it. I think that's a very important point that we talked about before. You're allowed to satisfy your needs via the earth. You're not allowed to utilize the earth, exploit the earth, right, towards profit, towards some kind of commercial end, right? Planting and reaping and sowing, etc. These are ways to take the raw material of the earth, like the raw grains of, of, of wheat, and process it and turn it into a machine, right? Something that generates, something that produces, right? Produce, right? That's what the word tevua means in Hebrew, produce. Like you can go produce thing that go to a grocery store, but produce because the earth produces, right? The earth is a machine of sorts. And just like on Shabbat, we let our tools rest. And even more radically here, on Shemitah, it's not that we let the earth rest, it's that the earth rests. Right? It's not like we give it permission to, but rather the earth is the agent, the earth is the subject, the earth is resting. The earth becomes liberated from us. Lahavdil Elif of Dulles, especially given his complicated political his affiliations and implications, uh, I can't lie, in the Nazi party, um, Martin Heidegger, the German phenomenologist and philosopher, please forgive me, um, paid attention to the way in which actually our relationship to tools is like a fundamental aspect of human consciousness. That when we relate to something as something for use, it's what he calls for Handenkeit, it's something at hand. There's an important point he's making, and again, like it's a quite a tragic point because given his, again, his moral culpability in terms of his, you know, relationship to the Nazis, you know, not seeing the ways in which Nazism is founded explicitly on exploitation, explicitly on turning people into human resources. Right? He didn't like get that that's actually what he was involved with too. But he, to his point, he's saying when you relate to something as something that you can use, exploit, your relationship to it is one of dominance, your relationship to it is one of extension of yourself. Shemitah is when that relationship of exploitation is broken because the earth, it's not that we let the earth rest. The earth regains its agency, not as something that we use, but rather as its own partner in this relationship with its own rights and its own will, its own agency, right? Its own ability to act. The fact that the Torah says the earth rests means that the earth is liberated from being merely an extension of our needs, an extension of our wants, an extension of our designs, and, and recaptures the sense of its autonomy and independence. Heidegger says we realize actually the normal state of affairs when something breaks. When a tool breaks, that's actually when it presents itself as its own object. 
because it's no longer determined by our, our use of it. It becomes just a thing unto itself again. The earth, in a way, on Shemitah, breaks, right? The exploitative nature or relationship we have with the earth is broken, right? It absolutely ceases, and the earth regains a sense of its agency. So that's, I hope, what I would call maybe a tikkun on uh, the villainous Heidegger, that there's a, there's a seed of holiness in his, uh, in his mistakes. Um, so it says, right. So again, there's a difference between exploiting the earth, right, uh, making it something that produces more for you later down the road, and the equalizing relationship that we've talked about in the way in which it brings us back down to earth, that we're eating on it, wilding our lives, much like an animal, right, you know, eats as it, as it, as it um, roams across the earth. Okay, so thoughts, reflections, objections? Anything about Shemitah that you notice now that you want to uh, bring in after reviewing this text again? I'm just wondering for <clears throat> for wine for bread. I guess you're able to use that which you for the previous year, so that you still have some grain and you're making it into flour. You can make bread and you can make great. You can make wine out of grapes from the previous year. I'm getting uh, asking. I'm not sure. Mm hmm. Right. So it says you can't gather the grapes, but you can eat what's off the land. So I'm not we're not we're, at this point. We're still kind of like in Shemitah in theory. We're not like looking at Shemitah in practice as much. But okay. it seems like maybe the distinction it's making is like you can't harvest grapes to process into something else, i.e. wine, but you can eat the grapes off the vine. Can you process? Can you process grapes that have just happened to fall in on the ground? Um, I think that would fall under Sviach Kitzir Cha. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's the aftergrowth. Right, that's what, you know, and I mean, I, I mean, I would say you can eat them for sure because, you know, like we talked about last, a couple weeks ago, Shemitah kind of, you know, again, it makes us kind of like, brings us in, into the same level as animals. We're just wandering, roaming the earth, eating what we need, not planning, you know, not like projecting into the future and planning for that. But similarly also, um... We're also maybe we're brought in line and into equality with the poor, right? Because the poor eat what's left over, right? They eat what's fallen down the ground. Um, they eat what was forgotten, to, what was not harvested, right? The shikha. They eat what was uh, intentionally excluded, the peya, and uh, the leket, right? That which actually you tried to harvest, but then you knocked it down. Right? You get what the earth is left with. In a way, we get what the earth gives us not what we take from it. Again, another way in which the earth, in a way, regains a sense of its agency in Shemitah. But I think that's, that's one of the kind of the things I want to explore here, is that only by ceasing, only by breaking, right, taking a break, but think of it also as like the way a tool breaks, right, only by breaking, something shutting down, something not working anymore. On Shabbos, we don't work anymore. Right, we break on Shabbos. We take. We think of oh, I'm taking a break. No, in a way, we break. Right, we're like broken. We, the relationship between our let's say our souls and our bodies as instruments of volition and labor. Right, the way we use our body to achieve certain ends in the world. That's what Shabbos stops. That's what Shemitah is stopping. We break. We break down. 
on Shabbos. And only by doing that, only by intervening, erupting right into the normal course of affairs, can we regain a sense of our freedom, of our agency, of ourselves. And that's like that's like the mission statement that we're going to be exploring. And we're actually going to travel through Torah, into the rabbis, into the Meforshim, the medievals. And then finally, Lauren, are you ready? Finally, yes. Rob Cook. Woohoo! Yeah, get excited. And let me tell you, I wrote the translation and I, I felt high afterwards. Um, there's nothing like reading Rob Cook. Um, yeah, truly. Really. All right, so I, here's the game. Here's the game. If you have access to a computer, I want you to take a screenshot of this text, okay? Now I want you to have it up so you can compare it, can compare it to this text, okay? So can you take a screenshot of Vayikra 25? Cha-chink, good? Good, okay. So here's Shmois 31, right? We just read this a couple weeks ago. It's from Kisisa. This is after God has commanded Moses to take the first census, and then immediately, almost immediately, transitions into talking about Shabbos. Okay, and I think there's like an interesting connection between the fact that the census resists the way in which human beings are reduced to numbers because you're not allowed to just count somebody without God's permission. That's why we still don't count Jews, even Minyan, things like that. And Shabbat, again, is a day, like Shemitah were saying, is a day in which your you are not reduced into the system. You are not reduced into what good you into what utility right you can accomplish, into what profit you can make. You, your your irreducibility is honored. Your radical singularity, like God. Like no, I'm sorry, no, we are not like God, but rather like God is singular, so too the soul is singular. Okay, so let's. I want you to compare screenshot. I want you to pay attention. What are the common phrases? It's not an accident that these things are, right? Are brought, I'm bringing these things into dialogue. I didn't make this up. All right, it says, speak to the Israelite people and say, nevertheless, you must keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign, right? I.e. Like, like an emblem between me and you throughout the ages that you may know that I, Hashem, have consecrated you. I've made you holy. Right? Shabbat is like being, you know, lahavdil, but it's like we're being branded, right? It's like Shabbat is this sign. It's why we don't wear tefillin on Shabbos, because tefillin is, an, is also a sign, right? It's an emblem of our relationship with God. And Shabbos, the day itself, serves as that kind of recognition, that kind of, that, that signification of our special connection with God. You shall keep the Sabbath, for it is holy for you. One who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does work on it, that person shall be cut off from amongst kin, i.e. you get karis if you do, you get uh, karit, right, spiritual exile if you do Shabbat, if you do work on Shabbat on purpose, on purpose. Don't worry, if you screwed up by accident, you don't get spiritually cut off. Six days may work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to Hashem. Whoever does work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Any... Common phrases? So far? Feel free to ding in when you see them. The Israelites will keep the Sabbath, enacting the Sabbath for generations as an eternal covenant. 
between me and the Israelites. It was an, it is an eternal sign. For six days, God made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day, God rested and was refreshed. Okay, common phrases. How is Shemitah, in, what is Shemitah invoking in being described the, the way it was above? Yes. Complete rest. Exactly. Shabbat Shabbaton. It is literally repeated. Shabbat Shabbaton. Right? Not just that, but also Kodesh Lashem, I would say, is not exactly, but is parallel to Shabbat Lashem. It's holy to God, for God. Now, quite interestingly, okay, so by this phrase Shabbat Shabbaton, which actually a couple weeks ago we said also we can compare to Yom Kippur, but we're going to bracket that. This week. We're just going to focus on regular Shabbat. By invoking Shabbat Shabbaton with the Shemitah and Shabbat Shabbaton here in uh, Kitisa, where then does the Pasuk bring our attention to what aspect of Shabbat or what iteration of Shabbat, what phenomenon of Shabbat? It's kind of a it's 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 a it's an abstract question I'm asking. But which Shabbat is this pasuk talking? Is is this uh, this section talking about? There's the eternal Shabbat, right? The regular Shabbat. Every week there's a Shabbat. But which other Shabbat is invoked? We say it every time we make Kiddush on Shabbos day. When we say Vishamru, Vishamru right? we are always saying every Shabbat is in some way a fractal. Every Shabbat is reiterating, drawing on the Shabbat of eternity, the Shabbat at the beginning of time. Who set the precedent for Shabbat? Hashem did by, by resting. By resting. The right. other way God could have set the precedent for Shabbat is by telling Moses, Moses, here's a law. Don't work on Shabbat. That's precedent, right? God yes. tells Moses, here's a law. I'm positing Shabbat. But no. God established the precedent for Shabbat by enacting it. By performing it. Right? In the beginning of time. And Adam Rishon's first, like, was born on, created on Yom HaShishi. Mm -hmm. So Adam Rishon's first experience would have been an experience of Shabbat. Mm -hmm. Also. Beautiful so that's text. the Torah Tum, like it keeps going and going and going. There's actually a beautiful text in the Talmud about how Havdalah is therapeutic. Because if Adam Rishon was born, let's say, um, at you know, like around dusk, just before dusk on Friday. And then came Shabbat, sun goes up, the sun goes down again. If you have not ever lived before, you might think the world is over. So Havdalah was actually became this ceremony to re to, to bring comfort and to reassure the uh, Adam Rishon that um, the darkness is not eternal, that there is still light you can bring into it. So it's a, fa it's a fascinating kind of cosmic Havdalah theory. Um, here what we have, right, is that Shabbat Lashem is on one hand, what we saw above, what we've kind of hinted at, is that it's Shabbat 
it's a cessation of, 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 of normal life, so we can bring ourselves to God. But here it's saying actually Shabbat is something that, God, uh, is something that actually has God in it in some way. That if God did Shabbat, now again, we're going to like back off by saying God like needs Shabbat, something like that, or that's going a little too far, but that in Shabbat is the divine of some kind. Right? Not just an opportunity for us to direct itself, but Shabbat itself and or Shemitah actually have a touch of the divine in them because God enacted Shabbat. God manifested Shabbat. Like it's real. It's not just a statute. It's not just a law. It's not just policy. But there's something real that we're tapping into. In some way, reality changes during Shemitah, during Shabbat. So here we're going to look at uh, Torah Kahanim, or also called Sifra, which is the Tanaitic Midrash, the Halachic Midrash on Vayikra. Uh, so early rabbinic thinking about the Torah. Okay? So it says, Shabbat Lashem. Kishem Shne'emar B'Shabbat B'Reshit Shabbat Lashem. Right? Just like it says, what we just saw, that when talking about Shabbat Breshit, right? Right? Six days did God make the uh, heavens and earth. Just like it says there, Shabbat Lashem. Shabbat Lashem. It says also for Shemitah, it's a Sabbath for God. Why? Your field you shall not sow, and your vineyard you shall not prune. As we said above, when that what that means is all the field labor and all the vineyard labor. That's what's forbidden. So what's the what's the what's the task this midrash is doing? What's the main takeaway? It's trying. It's it's you know it's it's pretty direct in a way. Saying because of the repeated phrase Shabbat Lashem, thus we know what. We know that we stop all our acts of creation. Exactly. So which is paradigmatic and which is derivative? Ah. The paradigm is actually Hashem creating the world mm -hmm. and um, stopping on the seventh day Good. and stopping creation, no creating. Good. Good. And so the metaphor is for human beings because during the week we're co-creators in a sense, Good. and then come Shabbat, we cease from creation. Right. And so the same with the Shemitah year. Six mm -hmm. years do you work the land, and on the seventh year, you you just let it be. Exactly. So I'm going to say there's two ways to read what you just said, and I think it's like productively ambiguous. One way of reading it is saying Shabbat is the paradigm, and from Shabbat we learn out Shemitah. Right. Just like Shabbat is a it, like God rested on Shabbat from the work of creation. So we derive from that, from this repeated phrase, Shabbat Lashem. We learn from God's enacting of Shabbat that also Shemitah has similar stringency when it comes to refraining from work. I.e., Shabbat is the paradigm, it's the pattern for the kind of year Shemitah is supposed to be. Just like Shabbat is a day of rest, Shemitah is a year of rest. It seems kind of obvious, but the point it's saying is that like you draw an analogy, right? Like the SATs. Just like Shabbat is a day of rest, so Shemitah is programmatically speaking a day of, a year of rest. But another way of 
another way of understanding it, which I think actually was like similarly ambiguous in what you just said, Lauren, and I, I mean that I mean that appreciatively, is that actually in a way Shabbat and Shemitah are equally derived from God. Shabbat Lashem, it's like the proto-Sabbath. It's the sabbatical. Sixth day of creation, after its completion, God rested. And that set the precedent for what it looks like for human Sabbath and earth Sabbath. God's establishing like the seed, the germ of rest, right, as part of the pattern of creation, literally woven into the natural order itself. In a way, God created rest, right? Like created non-creating. It's a pretty par like uh, paradoxical idea. But Shabbat is, on one hand, like refraining from creation, but on the other hand, it is positive, it is proactive in terms of bringing into the world something new, something real, which is rest, which is a break, right? A break isn't just a negative activity, stopping from doing something. You're actually doing something on Shabbat. You're doing Shabbos. You're, and, and during Shemitah, you're doing Shabbos. You are enacting something positive, new, novel, needed, and real. That Shemitah and Shabbat are both invocations and reiterations of the ultimate essential paradigm of God's enacting, manifesting rest. It's, it's a subtle kind of rereading of it, but in a way it's saying Shabbat and Shemitah are equally on the same playing field in terms of both of them on the micro and macro level, manifesting God's precedent of rest in the world. Okay. Rashi, to Susie's point, although a little bit different, he wants to keep us from things. He says, what does Shabbat Lashem mean? It doesn't mean it's God's. He's like drawing back from this idea a little bit. He's saying, L'shem Hashem. No, 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 no. It's not God's Sabbath but rather it is a Sabbath for God, much like I would give a gift for my friend, right? It is a Shabbos dedicated to God. Shabbat, Shemitah, is a period of time in which we are able to dedicate or rededicate ourselves to God. We, 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 we discussed this earlier. I wanna kind of make clear we have two versions here. I want to say one of them is negative and one of the when I say negative I don't mean it's like bad I mean it's 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 like negative means like it's carving out space for something right Rashi's vision of Shmida or Shabbat or Shabbat is negative in the sense that it's about making sure there's a space in which you can then dedicate yourself to God but we have another model that's kind of edging in that I think is implied maybe ambiguously but at least implied in the Sifra that's positive Shabbat it's not, it is Shabbat Lashem. There's something divine about the essence or the nature, the substance of Shabbat itself. It's not just that Shabbat is a time in which we can dedicate ourselves to God, but Shabbat is, is in a way, we're touching something, we're in contact with something divine. Okay. Um, so, 
when Sifra said, referring to Shabbat Rishi, it says Shabbat Lashem, this is the Pasuk it meant, it was in the Ten Commandments. It says, V'yom HaShvi Shabbat Lashem Alokecha, Lo Tasekum Lecha, Ata Vinecha Vitecha, Avtecha Matecha Vemtecha Vakercha, Sher Bisharecha. Seventh day is a Sabbath for God, uh, for Hashem your God. Do not do any labor, you, your, ch your, uh, your sons and daughters, your servants and maidservants, your beasts, and your, uh, and your residents who are within your gates. Okay, again, Shabbat is this holistic, all-encompassing day of rest. Nobody can be exploited. That's the ideal vision of it. Everyone has the right to rest. Um, Sforno has a very interesting, very lyrical comment in his way. He says, Shabbat Hashem Elokecha, Klimar, Lomod, Lamed, Lishmor, Vlasolit Haneg. Says, that is to say, what is Shabbat Lashem Elokecha? That is to say, in which you learn and you teach and you keep and you enact or you perform the commandments, right? And you delight in them, Litanegbo. You delight in Shabbos, right? Oneg Shabbat, Tanug, pleasure. Now, I think that's a really important point, right? Is that if we're saying that there's a parallel, there's a paradigmatic parallel between Shabbat and Shemitah, then just like Shabbat is supposed to be a time in which you are able to access these higher order activities of actualizing your intellect, of making time to uh, have spiritual direction in your life. But also, it's about achieving and, and gaining access to, having a right to, pleasure, leisure, right? Relaxation, enjoyment. Shabbat is a, is a hedonistic day of sorts. It not literally, it's not like, uh, not gross, but it's a day of pleasure, right? It's a day in which you are supposed to delight, supposed to have um, luxury, luxurious time. Shemitah too, then, is supposed to be a year, and it seems it seems contradictory because Shemitah seems to be a year in which you are like hard scrabbling, you know, finding whatever food you can that's been left over on the earth. How could this be a year of luxury? But it's about re-accessing something essential, getting away from things that we thought we needed, and realizing how to re-conceive uh, um, of and regain an appreciation for that which we actually need. It's kind of like the slow food movement of sorts, you know, or or people or like whole food movement, right? Of of people who are getting away, or you know, uh, chefs and cooks and 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 gourmands and gourmets who are getting away from you know frippery and overly complexifying food and processed food and 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 things like that, and getting back to the in touch with the the purity and the the uh, essentiality of basic flavors, really being able to like really you know taste the radicchio, right? Really taste what salmon tastes like, right? Not like the way to turn it to make it taste like something else, so you can just get through it, but to actually regain some kind of connection, direct connection with through taste, right? With something's substance, with something's quality, something's nature. Um, it says, Dai ha'avoda lichvodo yitbarach. That's like enough in a way. That like pleasure, learning, teaching, keeping the Torah. That's enough actually to be worshiping God. Um, 
the common the, the translation that I, I didn't write this translation, but the translation, you know, is it's it's taking liberties because this isn't explicit in here, but I think it gets to an important point. So I I usually take out these kind of parenthetical comments, but this is I think a good one. That the Sforno to the common to the translator's eye, which I think I think I think they're noticing something quite right. The Sforno is contrasting Shabbat, a day in which we are able to um redirect right reorient our priorities to that which is truly valuable not that which is you know part of the rat race part of the hustle and bustle right part of what it means to try to achieve to um to pursue one's ambitions so i said earlier in this class that shabbat is about learning how to aspire with without letting that aspiration become channeled into ambition how to reach for something higher without feeling like you need to step on someone to get there. Right, to ascend, not, not through the corporate ladder, but through the singular transcendence of oneself. Not in a way that would bring you into a contradictory or a, or a co competitive relationship with anyone else. You're not trying to get your leg up over on anybody. To farm the earth is always in some way then to enter right some kind of competitive market but to just eat from the earth your only concern is just feeding yourself kind of like the way like late weight late lifters weight lifters the way that weight lifters have personal bests right i mean some people competitively lift right they're trying to like lift the most in the entire world but i think everyone who's like into a strength training it's not your the person you're competing against is really just yesterday's you. It's about you growing into something more, you advancing, you progressing, not in in contrast with anyone else. You're not comparing yourself to anybody, but rather you are trying to hone and refine and advance just you. I think Shabbat is bringing us back to that you know, essentiality, simplicity, what it means to be an infinite individual, not in contest or in contrast or in con or in contest with anyone else. Um, he quotes a line from the Gemara, like beautiful, like fragrant wine brings me enlightenment. Hedonism on Shabbat, I'm using that word provocatively, because hedonism usually means just like kind of a crass pursuit of, of material corporeal pleasure. But Shabbat hedonism, Shabbat's practice of pleasure, is not about greedily stuffing your mouth, no matter how, no matter how certain Shabbos meals you've been to in which that seems to be the order. But Shabbat and Shemitah are not about greedily stuffing your mouth, but about learning how to love value and appreciate that which is before you to relearn how to enjoy that which you have the luck and the privilege of um, of having it's a radically different model of what pleasure entails it's not about Just in the way it's not about it's not about broadening your your grasp it's about deepening your enjoyment yeah, Lauren. Sorry to interrupt, but it just struck me that it's like 
it's like reliving Gun Aiden. Mm-hmm. Right? And the, the, the humans were put there just to enjoy what was there. Mm-hmm. Not to not to have to, mm-hmm. you know, plant anything, just enjoy what's there. So yeah. in a way, it's like every Shabbat or every Shemitah, in a sense, is like returning to Gun Aiden. And it's right. also being dependent on Hashem, mm-hmm. like like Adam and Chava were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to get to that point, actually, in the next commentary, in terms of, again, like, we're talking about the ideal model of what Shemitah entails. Does the rubber always, you know, hit the road in the same kind of way? You know, can we just, like, let go and let God? Maybe yes, maybe no, but that's at least the model that's being proposed, for sure. Um, I think it's a great point, that every, periodically, right, reiteratively, every Shemitah, every Shabbat, is bringing us back to the beginning of time, to the Shabbat of creation, right? That's the program. That's the paradigm. Now, again, we have like two boxes, right? One box is, again, what I said, like kind of dedication to God. And one one version of Shemitah and Shabbat is that Shabbat Lashem. It's, it's the divine Sabbath. Which of these two? Is this Rashi or is this the Sifra? Is Sforno saying Shabbat is about dedication to God? Or is that there's something substantively divine within it? I don't mean to be too heuristic here. And one, it's not that one of them is better or worse than the other. I just kind of want to try to make sure we get the terms of the, of the comment. Oops. Swarno actually comes right out and says it's, it's a time to serve Hashem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems like this is like. Stops have been un, un, unstopped, right? What's keeping us from acting for God has been eliminated. We're able to now dedicate our day or our year to God. So it seems like it is a furthering, maybe even a deepening, of Rashi's point. It's Shabbat um, Likavod Hashem, right? We are dedicating this day to God. L'shem Hashem. Now I want to look at the Ha'amek Davar from the Netziv. Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin disciple of the Vilnagon, he says this. He says that the verse focuses on the word Elokecha. Why? Because the word Elohim in Midrashic Hebrew refers to God's providence, right? The way in which God takes care of us, God's involvement with the workings of creation. It says, He says, it is not God's will, not God's desire, for us to be able to achieve some kind of profit by through our activities on Shabbos, not to do some kind of thing that brings us to the to to profit and to provision, right? I.e., what's he concerned about? I mean, this is a very important point. He says, move on to Kamokain. Uh, sorry, he says, um, oh yeah, move on to Kamokain. A circle Asek Kamokain Azhor. He says, we, it, everyone knows. It's intuitive. It's kind of like electricity. No offense to anyone's Shabbos practice, but like when people are like, oh, why is electricity forbidden? And I'm like, oh, it's like completing a circuit. Like, oh, it's it's this or the other thing. I think a very legitimate argument can be made. It's like, it is intuitive. There's something intuitive about it. Actually, we, we learned about this actually this past Shabbos. My Torah said that uh, fire, says the Sforno, destroys 
You're allowed to destroy things on Shabbat, so why can't you use fire? Fire burns things down. You're just not allowed to create, so why can't you destroy? And the answer is that fire is, this, is, is what allows work to happen. I think that's actually a very good way of understanding electricity. Electricity allows you to do more work, right? Like with a machine, you're able to, with an electronic machine, you're able to do things that your, your human body cannot do. Something's intuitive about it. It's not literal. It's not based in some kind of statute. So he says, obviously commerce, right? Buying and selling, trading is not allowed on Shabbat, even though he says there's no explicit verse prohibiting it. It's intuitive. Um, so what's his like concern here? I think what he's getting at is something that we saw hinted at before. That Shabbat and Shemitah, right here he's commenting on Shabbat, but again, like if Shabbat Lashem is the unite, every time we talk about Shabbat Lashem, we're taught, we have to be talking about Shabbat and Shemitah. That's what the, that's the claim that the Bahar made. Right, Sifra said, sorry, Sifra said that Shabbat Lashem is in both Shabbat and Shemitah. So every time we're commenting on one, we're commenting on both. So he's saying Shabbat, so even though there's not like a, a, a Pasuk in the Torah that says you can't like trade in a market, but really what's his point? He's saying Parnassa, aiming towards your livelihood, profit, commerce, just and here I think the, the paradigm and derivative is reversed. Just like in Shemitah, in which the rules of Shemitah make sure that we are not planning for the future, we are not exploiting the earth to yield a greater bounty, but rather we are merely, justly, enjoying what it has for us now. Shabbat, too, cannot become a time for commerce in which you are using what's before you in order to plan for the future, in order to gain advantage over someone else. Shabbat and Shemitah are times to attain our highest potential without competing against another, to realize that what it means to advance does not need to be in, uh, in contest with anyone else. Not only that, but I would say the Shabbat itself needs to be protected from exploitation. That the day of rest cannot then become like, oh, it's an extra day I can work. It's a day I can get a leg up over my competitor. I can use this time off I have for my job to now go to the market and like bring my, my homewares and gain some extra profit here. Shabbat, too, needs to be protected, and so does Shemitah, from being transformed into something. And why? Because he's saying... Shabbat Lashem Elokecha. The use of the word Elokim here means that it's not, it's a day of faith in which God's taking care of us for us, not us. You can take your hands off the, off the till. Right? You don't have to be, you know, going, running through the rat race 24-7, right? 24 hours, seven days a week. There's one day in which you realize there's actually a limit towards what we can accomplish. There's something destructive and debilitating about always seeing ourselves as needing to be the source of our sustenance. That the way for us to have security or well-being in this world is always through something exploitative, 
something profiteering. No, Shabbat and Shemitah are teaching us that everything we need in a way is, is in front of us and God's taking care of us. And in a way, our need to enter the market, to enter exploitation, to exploitative relationships, helps us forget what it means to have access and to have connection with what we really need. Something chips away inside of us. Something erodes. Shabbat is about relearning. We'll right? Relearning what it means in a way, like what it is that we do, you know, our, our putative productivity in the six days of the week and the six years of the Shemitah cycle. Oh, we think we're advancing, but are we? When true advancement, right, true actualization, true development, it's not about learning how to juice something more for its resources, but about learning how to best appreciate that which we have. Um, I think the Ramban is, I think, a little bit esoteric. It's a very Kabbalistic text and has a lot to get into it. Um, But we, that, you know, like there's always too much text. So that will be for whoever, you know, for learning the source text after the class is over. That'll be your extra bonus text. So let's look at the Sefer Chinuch. Sefer Chinuch is a wonderful Sefer. Um, I think we've looked at it before when we've learned. Um, it was published anonymously, um, although some people think it was written by the Ra'a, Rabbi Aaron Alevi. Um, it is a unique mitzvah book. Um, it, it is, a, you know, there's a whole medieval genre of books trying to count out all 613 mitzvot. Rambam wrote Sefer HaMitzvot, Ramban wrote his glosses on it. And this is a unique one because unlike those, it doesn't categorically order them, but it actually just goes according to the Parsha. Like each and every Parsha, it just says, here are the mitzvot in the Parsha. And then it goes into them and gives you kind of a rundown of them. Then it gives you what's called the shorshim of the mitzvah, like the roots of it, i.e. It's, its meaning its motivations, what it's trying to accomplish, its purpose. And then um, finally brings you to the dinim, right? The kind of the way it manifests in the world. So we're gonna focus on the shorshim, uh, the shoresh of the mitzvah of Shemitah. We're gonna look at what the Sefer Chinech says. It says, Mitzvah Likboa bilibeinu litzayer tziur chazak v'machshavateinu inyan chidish ha'olam. It says, what's the point of Shemitah? to affix in our heart and to uh, describe in our in our consciousness the concept right, the idea of the the novelty of the world the renew the renewing of the world i.e like we got back to before shabbat and shemitah bring us back to lauren was saying eden but i want to say it's pushing us even further than eden to literally the you know the first shabbat the cosmic Shabbat, the Shabbat of God. As it says, right? Six days God made the heavens and the earth. Seventh day God rested. It did not create a darn thing. Take that, Rashi. He said, God enacted, like scripturally, like enacted a rule, rest on God's self. I wanna make sure we get that point. Like what is the Sefer Chinuch saying this cosmic Shabbat was? This paradigmatic Shabbat, what happened on it? 
God made himself stop working. Mm -hmm. God manifested something new. God didn't create anything. That's true. But God manifested rest by even constraining God's self. God decreed rest on God's self. So this, in Rashi says, no, Shabbat L'Shem Hashem, right? It's, it's God set the paradigm for us so that we can dedicate a day to God. But the Sefer Chinuch is actually willing to say, no, Shabbat L'Shem means this, it's God's Shabbat. Right, for Shemitah and Shabbat to invoke the cosmic Sabbath, it's literally the, t the time in which even God rested, that God is with us in our rest. Not that, right? That it's not just bringing us into contact with the earth, contact with the animal kingdom, contact with the poor, right? To level out society, like we've talked about, like kind of the more social, political model, which I think is true. But there's also a metaphysical, cosmic model that the Sefer Chinuch is pointing to that even brings us, the earth, animal kingdom, the marginalized and the poor, and God all into the same playing field. God is with us when we rest because we are with God as God rests. Um, I just want to go down a little bit. <clears throat> so, Lachain, so therefore, Siva Baruchu, God, the Holy One, commanded Lahafkir to abandon. Right, to let go of, to release. Hefker. Kol Masha Totsia Arts Beshanazu. Everything that the earth produces in this in this in this year. Milvad Hashvitaba. Kadeshis Kor Adam Kia Art Shemotsia Elava Perot. Bikoshnavshana Lo Bikochas Gulata Totsiotam. And that we're supposed to release the earth from all of our working of it, right? All of our exploitation of it such that it can completely rest. In order that we remember that the earth bringing forth its produce, right, its fruit, each and every year, it's not from its own power or its own program, right, that it's doing this, but rather, that there's God is the creative productive force in the earth. What does that do to us vis-a-vis -vis Shemitah? What does that do to us vis-a-vis -vis Shabbat? I think the point, I mean, I think a result of this point that the Sefer Chinuch is making is a radical anti-exploitation Torah. The resource-oriented thinking, and I apologize my father is an engineer, but the resource-oriented thinking is that you see everything in terms of the capacity it has in order to produce. And efficiency is learning how to exploit that thing to produce as much as it can until it is exhausted. If we saw the earth as merely being quantitative, like, oh, the earth has these resources and that resources, and I'm going to get them from it. I'm going to juice the earth for all it's worth. That's what would, that would be a reasonable conclusion if you thought the fruit of the earth, the produce of the earth, is by its own power, is by its own capacity, its own design. 
But no, if Shemitah's point by breaking our relationship with the earth, by breaking it down, by giving it a break, helps us relearn that the earth has its own agency, relearn that we are members in this relationship, not master and tool, master and servant. But actually, it's God has always been the third partner in, this, in that partnership. It's God's productive and creative force. So just like on Shabbat, by resting, we reiterate, invoke, reenact God's resting from, from creation, God's decreeing on God's self to rest. Shemitah too, that every single year, every single moment of the six years of labor is in a way the six days of creation again. God's productive creative force. And Shemitah, the year of rest, helps us relearn, remember, put back together, right? Remember, to put the members, the pieces back together, to remember that God has always been present in this, that it is immoral and unethical to then relate to the earth as something you can exploit when, in truth, the source of our sustenance has never in a way been what has been the fruit of our labor, but rather the fruit of God's creative force. God's productivity and creativity is what we've been benefiting from. And to come back to the earth with an exploitative relationship would be forgetting the divine you know, energy, the divine flow that's coursing within it. Um, Um, so now we're going to move on to Rav Cook, but before we do, just any, just any, any reflections on this point that the Sefer Chinook is making? That God's decreeing rest on God's self helps us remember and relearn that, you know, that the, um, that the dialectic of God's creation and God's resting is not just something that happened in history. It is something that happens, it is something that is restaged every week with the six days of, of, of work and, and Shabbos and every seven years. With the, seven, with the six years of agricultural work and Shemitah, that we see the way in which um, creation is not something that ever ended, that our creative potential, our um, productive potential, has never really been grounded in our ability to juice something, to reduce something into quantity, into countability, into, pr into resources, but rather the way in which there is a vital coursing creative force that is flowing through our bodies, through our social relationships, and through the earth that is able to produce something incredible. And the way to really then bring, come back to, um, to those productive and creative relationships is to remember and to learn again that um, true productivity, true creativity is a partnership, not exploitative. Yeah, Shosh. Um, I really don't get it because we didn't play an active role in creation. That was God like expanding, contracting, all that stuff. Why should we have like recreating God's decision to rest? Like You're saying that because creation was something that was done without human participa participation? Right. It feels like God's business to create us and to rest from creation. I get that part, but so why us then? Us. 
Right. So I mean, one of it is that God made the connection explicitly by calling Shabbat, Shabbat Lashem, like calling Shemitah, Shabbat Lashem. God is saying every six days, every seventh day and every seventh year, it's not just for me. You are doing it too, right? I have set the precedent. I have set the pattern for what life looks like. It is life that, that recognizes that work is not the basis. In a way, work is the exception. But that uh, would make sense if we could take a break from from us being us, like being human, but we can't do that. I think that's what I'm, I mean, that's what I'm about to get to actually. Okay. Is that we, <laughs> we actually do do that. That is what Shabbat and Shemitah are about. Okay. It, it, is, take, it is removing us from normal life. Right. But isn't that also super rel relative? Because let's say someone like um, is in a place, let's say, like going back to the fire example, mm -hmm. where they, can, they don't have access to or the ability to start a fire, and then suddenly they have the ability, wouldn't that mean they took a wouldn't that be resting in a sense, resting from the inability to have, to make a fire? So therefore, wouldn't rest mean making a fire? I mean, because fire or electricity or whatever make uh, bodily exertion less needed? No, I mean, like, it's just relative to the experience of the person. For someone that has never made a fire, maybe rest could mean making a fire. For someone that's habitually making a fire, rest could mean um, not making it. So well, it's... I mean, I think, I think you're saying that like rest is from what you're saying is is just a uh, a change, right? Could be right. So I think I I don't I don't think that's quite. So I don't get it in the sense that like, I mean, if I were like, let's say I was I was just like a, a couch potato, and then <laughs> you know I went and like uh, you built, run, like I went built, built, built a house, right? Like I would right. I don't think anyone would like reasonably say building a house is rest could be rest for a couch potato or if you had broken like your it, leg it, for a bit. It, it's oh i see what you're saying it's taking a break from being a couch potato is that what you mean uh-huh oh, i see okay yeah so i think that's a, that's a great point so when we say shabbat is taking a break it's not just neutrally taking a break it is specifically taking a break from exploitative relationships and 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 and, and labor laborious mm. right um it's it's not just making a change in your life i think that's actually something that's kind of hard for some people who are coming to Shabbos that are kind of new to it. I'm not saying about yeah. you, I'm saying just like people yeah. at home, right? They're like, oh, you know, like Shabbat for me is when I like paint in a way that like I do it for as a leisure activity. Mm -hmm. Like that makes a lot of sense. Like, oh, I paint to relax and Shabbat, Shabbat is a day of relaxation. Right. But it's not value neutral resting. It is mm -hmm. resting specifically in a way that takes us out of um, potentially marketable or potentially competitive spheres of our lives. But to what end? Like, I just, I, I don't want to distract we're the guys. No, like, we're, 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 we, okay. we're getting there. We are okay. getting there. I think you're, you're right oh. to point out, like, in a way, like, it seems like we're just talking in a way just about what it means to, uh, to take, to, like, intervene in, in, in real mm -hmm. life. Okay, but, I'll wait. Right, <laughs> no, but that, that's, that's, it's a, it's a good intervention you're making. Thanks. Um, I mean, the, I mean, I, well, I think the the um, the Sefer actually has, I think, gestures to that. It's a beautiful point. I, I wasn't going to say it originally, but it's really worth saying. It says the ODH to L is that there's another outcome. There's another takeaway from this. Nimsa b'devar liknot midat hutarnut to be vatran 
to be um, someone who can let something go, like someone who gets slapped in the face, right? Imagine somebody like, okay, imagine you're walking down the street, right? And there's somebody uh, who you encounter on the street who is, um, let's say, like mentally disturbed, right? Someone who's like in pain, someone who is uh, mentally ill. And something's happening in their consciousness and their awareness. And in their interaction with you, end up it be, it's a violent interaction, right? It is something that involves screaming and cursing. It's disturbing. It hurts, right? It's distressing. It's 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 painful to witness because the person is in pain, right? On a lot of levels, it's it's a challenging moment. Now imagine what it's like to be somebody who is just someone who's just all these like invectives are just flung at you. You're literally slapped in the face by somebody. And you're able just to stand there and to take it with dignity and with compassion and with peace. That, I think, is that is the moral outcome of Shemitah and Shabbat, according to Sefer Chinuch, to, a step, to a develop a quality of vatranut, to be vatran, to be able to someone who is able to let something go. To not identify, I mean, it's kind of like actually the Buddhist notion of, 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 of non-attachment, right? What is occurring to me, what is happening to me, is not me. How is it connected? Because Shabbat and Shemitah showed us the illusion of our own productivity. Oh, all of the things we, we thought we were able to juice from the earth, the produce you were able to make, the fruit you were able to grow, blah, blah, blah. No, actually, all of that is your partnership with God's creative force that still exists in the world. You are not doing it. And thus, you're able to realize, oh, it's never mine. We break this relationship of, of entitlement. That earth is a tool that belongs to me. No, the earth is a partner with God and myself in what it means to produce life in creation. I am a benefit as much an equal member as, as me being a participant. I am an equal partner in this. You are a Vatran because you're learning that it's not, it was never you, at least not you alone. That as much as you are proud of something, you are also grateful. And as much as you can take responsibility for something, you are also appreciative. You are also indebted. It says, There's no one more generous than somebody able to give without hope of, re of, re of recompense, without hope of, recipro of reciprocity. So I was talking with a friend earlier today about like a broken friendship relationship. Broken is maybe a strong word, but uh, uh, like there's there's been a break in it, right? There's been a like a tension in this relationship, and um, and we're talking about the possibility of being able to still give, to still reach out, to still offer love and support, even when um, one cannot reasonably maybe anticipate or expect that it's going to be returned, right? That's something we can learn how to do with a certain kind of um, I would call it like loving. Vatranut, like loving detachment, to just be grounded in what it means to give and not in this potentially, like, I give because I need or I give because I want. All right, Shabbat, Shemitah is removing us from these relationships of circulation, of reciprocity, which can easily turn into exploitation. I do this only so that I can get what I want, only so that I can get what I need.
we learn how to ground ourselves in our singular individuality, in our uniqueness, to be able to do to gain um, a re reconnection with that which is already there, and to appreciate it and to value it for what it already is. Not what we can turn it into, not what we can get from it, but what it is right now. Um, here's the Rav Cook. Um, the Hebrew's gorgeous, very, very uh, challenging. <laughs> yeah, so, so Rav Cook was writing while the modern language of Hebrew was being reinvented. Right, so he's a contemporary of, of Eliezer ben Yehuda, you know, the fa the father of modern Hebrew. So he was like writing his, he was as he was writing, he was creating his own Hebrew language right? in dialogue with the with the early Zionists, um, but also with his own take on the language, his own spiritual romantic like connection with with the you know the eternal language of Hebrew. So it's, it's a unique corpus. He writes like nobody else because in a way he invented his own idiolect, like his own language. All right, so here's your, here it is. And, and this is my translation. All of the errors are my fault, but if anyone's tried to translate Rav Cook, it's, it is a journey and a half. It says, the same impact that Shabbat effects for each and every individual is that which is affected in the Shemitah year for the nation as a whole. So Shabbat and Shemitah are correlated for him. Shabbat for the individual soul, Shemitah does that on a macro scale for the entire nation. Okay, and he has this notion, you know, this very like, romantic nationalist idea that the nation as, a, as an organic unit has a soul. There's, a, there's an individual soul um, and, that, and, and it's isomorphic, right? It, like, it is the same pattern as the organic national, the national soul, the soul as a whole. It is this nation that needs Shemitah in particular. Shemitah gives us what we need. Since divine creativity is implanted within it, right? That divine creativity, that, that which started all the way in the beginning of creation and has never ceased, is, is in the nature of what it means to be, to have a neshama, to have a soul, right? Our vital creative force that's inside of us, right? As an individual and also as the Jewish people, right? So we have this soul, this national or individual soul that's creative, that's... That, that wants to make, that wants to touch something divine. But, uh, and, it, and, it, and the divine illumination keeps on poking out its head, keeps on disclosing and revealing itself time and time again with fulsome radiance. You can't help but be a little bit purple when you uh, translate Rough Cook. But on its own, the social burden of struggle and stress, the sweat and striving that is part of life does not cease. Right? When you're in the thick of it, you're in the rat race, a break doesn't just happen on its own. You're in the midst of, your, of what's compelling, of what people need from you. Ding, another email comes into the inbox. Ding, ding, you get another text on your phone. Right, Always something, you know, a toddler grabs at you with sticky fingers. Right, like um, You go to work and your boss needs you to get the report in by 3 o'clock on Thursday afternoon, not 9 o'clock Friday morning. Right, you have Everyone needs something from you. You need to get one over on somebody so that you can make sure to make enough money so you can go to Cabo in the winter, whatever it is. It doesn't stop. Right? And this, you know, social life, socioeconomic life, um, 
if it would just stop, if you could just get a break, then your souls could like breathe for a minute. But it doesn't stop. It never stops. It doesn't stop on its own. Shemitah and Shabbat are not natural parts of life in a way, but are interventions into life. They're eruptions within life, blowing up life from the inside. Shemitah and Shabbat is like, it's, it's, it's a radical intervention to explode life from the inside. But with the valor needed to throw oneself into dealing with the established social order, it, that also comes along with the minimizing and marginalizing of the gentility of ethical life. Does that make sense? Again, my language is needlessly Baroque, but again, it's, it's, it's rough cookie. Um, the grit and determination you need to make it in this world, right? The stick to the, the the discipline, the drive, the ambition. You need to make it. You need it, right? Or else the world's just going to run you over. But just because you need it doesn't mean it doesn't have a cost. The cost that comes, al that comes along with that ambitious lifestyle is also the way in which our higher needs, our gentle, tender self, is shunted to the side, tucked away in a corner, and locked away. You need to harden and deaden your heart to be able to succeed in the market, to be able to succeed in social life. You need to be hard-driving, ambitious, egotistical, selfish. You need to get what's yours. Right? Everybody needs that in a certain... It's true. Everybody needs that. You need to get up in the morning. You got to get going. You got to move. You got you to succeed. That's true. That's what it means to be in the world. But there's a cost. And the cost takes a toll on your soul. The ever-present opposition between hearkening to the call of the ideals of love and truth, mercy and compassion, right? Our highest ideals of ourselves. But it's opposed with, it's in contact, it's in tension with exploitation, coercion, the unrelenting pressure that comes along with commerce and capital, which force one to act in the world of action. And distances one from the divine light, which is meant to bring awareness to the nation. This alienation leeches itself like a toxin, even into the ethical life of the individual. What Rav Cook is saying is that what we see as normal and neutral, oh, you know, you just, it's, listen, it's business, it's not personal. Right, that's, you hear that all the time, right? It's, listen, it's not personal, it's business. What does that really mean? I am going to suspend my ethical life to succeed in commerce I'm going to put my needs in front of yours because I have a reasonable um, uh, motivation to do so. I deserve to make a salary, and because of that, you know, I can't climb the corporate ladder without stepping on a few heads. So it goes. It's not personal. But when you say it's not personal, it means I am schizophrenic. I am breaking myself in two, saying there's part of me that is ends-oriented, exploited, I'm going to exploit, I'm going to turn somebody into a means for my end, my profit, my advancement. But Shemitah, Shabbat, helps us, gives us a break, gives us perspective, takes us out of the world so that we see what it is we're doing. We see what we've become. 
and we can reflect on that and recognize the cost and the toll that has been taken on us. The break we need from this ever-churning gyre that doesn't let us rest. God rested to give us what we needed to let us cease for a minute to breathe. God gave us Shemitah and Shabbat so that we can get some distance from our normal, unstick ourselves from the immediacy of everyday life to see what costs it takes, what choices we think we're, we're, we think we're forced to make in order to reevaluate ourselves, to do tshuva, to see ourselves truly from a view from nowhere. This alienation, right? We're alienated from others because we exploit so we can gain a profit, but we're alienated from God because we're alienated from our truest, higher, deeper, truer selves. This alienation leaches itself like a toxin even into the ethical life of the individual. So these periodic interruptions of the social order through these means, Shabbat for the individual and Shemitah for the nation, bring the nation's essence to transcendence, to ascend to its inner purpose in ethical and spiritual life, reassessing the divine capacity within, reaching higher and higher past each and every stratagem of the social order, processing and refining the social orders, bringing them to completion. We are allowed to do processing work. We are allowed to process something and transform on Shabbat and Shemitah. But it's not anything material or physical. It's not anything commercial. We're allowed to transform ourselves. And in that way, we're allowed to transform the world. How? By enacting a radical reform of refrain, of refraining from what it means to enter a style or a mode of living in which we are pitched against each other. We are opposed one against one another. Um, it is grim. Shosh is saying it's a grim picture. I think it, listen, it is stark what he's drawing, but the reason it's stark is because he's trying to throw it into, I think, a, a bas relief, into a contrast. I think he's forcing us to realize something that we keep on forgetting. That we, in a way, the only way we can live is, am, is through amnesia. We continually convince ourselves. We justify the choices that we make. I mean, it, it, listen, it, it's in, I'm using like this very heightened, intensified language because, you know, listen, not everyone is like, you know, cutting down the rainforest every day. But like the point is that every day what we do is we make compromises because the world forces us to and i'm not saying that that's like I'm, i do that everyone does that the world makes you do that shemitah and shabbat is the valve it's the it's the pressure release so that we can gain perspective and never forget that the way we live is not the way we have to live that the world as it is is not necessarily the world as it should be that there is a difference and a distance between the two. Shemitah and Shabbat give us a break so that we can realize what normal life entails, how much then it fits within something bigger and more important. The thing that's, you know, um, David Allen wrote a book called, he's a, like a productivity writer, 
And he wrote it for business people, but I think it's actually got some good philosophical or ethical value. He wrote a book called Getting Things Done. What could that have to do with Shemitah? It's the opposite, right? He says that there's, a, there's an axis. There's things that are urgent, and there, there's things that are important. There's things that are urgent and important, things that are urgent and not important, things that are important and not urgent, and things that are not urgent and not important. Things that are not urgent, not important, you know, those things we need to learn how to, like, just not dwell on, not invest in. Things that are urgent but not important is the bane of our lives. Right? Something that demands your attention but ultimately doesn't matter. And it's things that are important but not urgent are the hardest things to prioritize. Because it depends on you making the time you need. Carving out the time that they deserve. Carving out the time that you deserve to be able to commit yourself to something important. Shemitah and Shabbat gives us a break from the urgency, the grabbing, snatching, snagging urgency of everyday life so that we can recall, remember, and refresh what is important but doesn't seem to be in the moment to help us regain a new perspective by breaking open life as it stands so that we can see what was within it the whole time, to reconnect with that which is important, that which is always there, to learn to care for it, to value it, and to, uh, bring, and to bring a, a relationship of gratitude to it. Um, and in that way, I think, um, learn how we can disconnect what it means to transform from what it means to transform others. And Shemitah and Shabbat help us bring our attention back to ourselves, not in a way that's solipsistic or egoistic. But rather, it brings our attention back to ourselves by helping us regain connection with that which what we can work with our souls, that we can learn how to grow in a way that's not at the, uh, at the expense of anyone else. Shemitah and Shabbat teach us how to unlearn exploitation so that we can relearn gratitude and reconnect with what we can achieve without, um, without using or demanding of anyone else. That's the, I think, the connective tissue that's between the two. It is uh, ambitious and it is radical because it really, it's not just um, a big idea, but it's a big idea that forces us to think critically about the norm. Right? I think that's the thing. It, 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 it's like it's stark language that Ruff Cook is using because real life or regular life, normal life, seduces us into our contentment with it. It seduces us into our being willing to get along, to go along to get along. But Shemitah and Shabbos dare to show us the, a different way the world can be, a way in which we aren't forced to compromise our values. And I think it, and it challenges us to um, live up to that ideal a little bit more so that when we re-enter real life after, you know, Saturday night, the eighth year of the Shemitah cycle, that's not, we just, we don't forget it all over again, but we're getting a little bit better each time. We're getting a little bit more 
uh, compassionate, a little bit more uh, connective, and a little bit more uh, gracious. Um, we all went on a journey together. Um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, please spread the word. Uh, next week, we will be learning about the Jubilee, which is the ecstatic culmination of the um, of the Shemitah cycle. So Shemitah is once every seven years. The Jubilee is seven times seven plus one. Right? It's like it's the 50th year. And the way it's related to not just to, not just to Shabbat, but also to Yom Kippur, to Mashiach, to liberation, to the kind of the culmination of it all. Um, then we will do a class about Purim because Purim's coming. And then after Purim, we'll then actually look at the more practical side of Shemitah. And we'll conclude by looking at um, contemporary applications of Shemitah in the modern state of Israel. Uh, and then we'll focus on Pesach. Um, so uh, we will be having a special Parsha, well, not actually a, a Chodesh chat. This Thursday, we'll be doing a special Chalamek led by our own Renee Hirschberg, uh, 7 o'clock on Thursday evening. Uh, we'll be looking at, we'll be making a special Adar Purim Chala, so there might be sprinkles. And um, and also we'll, uh, we'll be learning about Mishinichnas Adar Marvin Besimcha, where as Adar enters, we increase our joy, what that means for us and what that can mean. And then we'll have Shabbos services um, and uh, in person and Havdalah on Zoom. And I hope to see you uh, very soon. Have a great night, everybody. A big Oh, and uh, I'm going to stop the recording.